Yassis, and welcome to the Greece Travel Secrets podcast. Your host is the founder of the Greece Travel Secrets website, Sandy Pappas, and she's joined by a variety of guests covering all sorts of topics about visiting Greece and making the most of your Greek odyssey. Hello, everybody, and welcome along to this episode. Uh, should I say Kalimera, Kalispera, or just simply hello from wherever you may be tuning in from around the world? Firstly, I have to apologize for the rather long delay in getting a new episode out on the podcast. There's been a fair bit going on in my world. Um, last October, I launched another website called Weekend Getaways Australia. So if you're Australian or if you're ever interested in coming to visit this wonderful country, and we really hope you can come soon, please, you know, follow along. Just Google Weekend Getaways Australia or you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. So that's taken up a little bit of my time. I don't have a podcast for that and don't have any plans to have one. But as you can imagine, there was lots of content to write and lots of social media to do and pins to pin and all those other things that go with having um, something like that. On top of that, I had the whole family at home for Christmas, which was wonderful. All three kids um, together again. And we hadn't seen our daughter in Melbourne um, for about, what was it, nine months. So it was lovely to have everybody home. And how fortunate are we that we could do that? Because I know for many of you listening in from different parts of the world, that may not have been possible for you. And I hope wherever you are, that you are doing okay. And that things are getting back to normal um, as much as possible where you are. The other thing that's happened in our world is that we've sold our house um, in the middle of the one of the biggest property booms that I can ever recall having in Australia. And we've bought a block of land down on the beach. So we're finally getting around to doing our sea change. We've talked about it for years. And we've realized that we really have no reason to be living in a big city any longer. So 2021 is going to be a very busy year for us. Um, wouldn't have it any other way. That's pretty normal. <laughs> and it's going to be exciting. I get to plan and design and build a house. John, of course, is a builder and we work well together. We've done many projects together in the past. So we love doing this sort of stuff and um, yeah, lots of exciting things to look forward to. Unfortunately, I don't think traveling overseas is going to be one of them. The Australian government has made it quite clear that Australians probably still won't be able to travel offshore in 2021. Um, we can certainly travel domestically and we've had a couple of great weekend escapes ourselves recently. One in particular was amazing. Last month we spent a few, well a long weekend on the Great Barrier Reef, the southern end of the Great Barrier Reef in an area that we hadn't been to before and honestly it was incredible. So whilst I know this podcast is all about Greece, I do hope that if you haven't been to Australia and indeed to the Great Barrier Reef, you can put that on your uh, you know, wish list for uh, a future time, a future holiday. So enough about me. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about the Peloponnese. Now, what is the Peloponnese, I hear you ask? It's an area in Greece. It's on the mainland. It's a large area. It actually covers over 21,000 square kilometers and it's home to over a million people. 
it's just to the, uh, let's say, yeah, very much, I suppose, to the west of Athens, if that gives you some perspective. And therefore, it's also west of the Cycladic Islands, which are home to, say, Santorini and Mykonos. It's an area of significant importance in Greece for a number of reasons. Certainly, historically, it played a huge role in shaping modern Greece as we know it today. It's also home to a lot of uh, trade and produce and the products that Greece uh, produces. To this day, it has a growing uh, and for good reason tourism industry which we'll get into a little bit more and it plays an important role in the geography and also the culture of Greece as we know it today. If you speak to anybody who's visited the Peloponnese honestly you won't come across anybody who has left there disappointed. It truly is a remarkable part of Greece and indeed the world. We uh, spent a fair bit of time exploring the Peloponnese on our last trip and honestly we came away just mind blown. I would return in a heartbeat and it's one of the reasons that I'm talking to you about this region before talking to you about many of the other 226 occupied islands because quite frankly once you've been to a couple of the islands I really think that the Peloponnese needs to be on your hit list You'll hear many people describe it as the real Greece, and I couldn't quite work out what they meant by that, but now that I've visited myself, I see what they mean. Everything that you see and feel and enjoy on the islands, you can also have on the Peloponnese. You'll get amazing beaches, fantastic food, wonderful, charming, quaint villages and towns, all in a much more authentic way, much less tourism. And to be honest, overall, we found it to be quite a bit cheaper than many other parts of Greece as well. So it makes for a really authentic and enjoyable holiday destination and a really good alternative to some of the other over-visited and sadly in some respects overrun destinations in Greece. So technically, you could call the Peloponnese an island. It doesn't actually connect to the mainland other than by several bridges since the man-made Corinth Canal was built. But you rarely hear it referred to as an island. It's such a huge area and really, as I said, it was only because of man-made intervention that it became separated. It has a lot of big mountains in the interior, which uh, mean that in winter it can be a very interesting place to visit with lots of snow and ski lodges and fireplaces and very charming villages and towns in the mountains. Around the perimeter, however, there are a lot of smaller peninsulas and some wonderful beaches and coves and bays and islands even to discover. You often hear the Peloponnese referred to as having four fingers, and I'll explain that a little bit more later, but I, I know myself I often refer to the, the second finger or the middle finger when I'm sometimes talking about it. It's divided from an administrative perspective into seven major regions, and each one has its own capital. So what I'm gonna do is actually talk through those seven regions 
and talk about some of the highlights and things to do and see within each one. The first region I've already mentioned, it's called Corinthia. Now, the capital of Corinthia is the modern city of Corinth. There used to be an ancient city as well, and you can still see the ruins of that when you go to visit the Corinth Canal. If you're driving down to the Peloponnese from Athens, it takes about oh, 90 minutes to two hours to get to the Corinth Canal. And of course, you have to stop there and have a look at it. It really is something we were lucky enough a few years ago to come through the canal in a cruise ship. It's a fairly small ship. It only had um, 220 people on it. And that's the biggest size ship that can get through the canal today. Keep in mind it was built back in the 50s, I think, from memory. So ships back then were a lot smaller and it really opened up trade um, and made things a lot quicker for the massive shipping fleets and shipping companies that Greece owned at the time. And it saved those ships from having to go all the way down around the entire peninsula. Today, as I said, the Corinth Canal is still in use but with much, um, you know, only these small passenger ships and, and freighters and just pleasure cruises and yachts and even jet skis um, go through there. But it's definitely worth having a look. You can also, uh, if you're up to it, you can bungee jump off the viewing platform where the pedestrians can walk across. That's something that we didn't do and are not planning to do ever but it, it would certainly be a unique experience and something you wouldn't be doing anywhere else in the world. So from a tourism perspective, the main things to do in Corinthia are the things I've already mentioned, visiting the ancient site of Corinth and the Corinth Canal. Otherwise, things in Corinthia are relatively industrial. There's a fair bit of manufacturing there and a lot of agriculture, but it's certainly an area that is worth spending an afternoon and you can do day trips to Corinth. They're quite common from Athens. As you head south through Corinthia and you stay to the east, you will come across the next regional unit, which is known as Argolis. Now, Argolis is a very agricultural area. There are multiple orange and uh, olive groves as you drive uh, through the, very, the valleys of Argoli. It's really very pretty and there's some beautiful towns and wonderful beaches and other things to see and do. The capital of Argolis is Nafplio, one of our favorite towns in all of Europe and honestly a place that I'm desperate to get back to and quite frankly a place that I could truly see that we could live. Uh, if you head over to greasetravelsecrets.com, I have recently published a complete guide to visiting Nafplio. It covers everything you need to know about how to get there, where to stay, some of the best things to see and do, the best places to eat, the types of food, the shopping. Honestly, it is an amazing town and I can't speak highly enough about it. If you can only go to the Peloponnese and spend a couple of days, then I suggest you spend those few days in Nafplio and explore during the day, do day trips out to some of these other uh, areas that I'm about to tell you about. Nafplio itself has a number of very significant ancient uh, sites and monuments right behind the town. It's, it's on a, a little peninsula itself in a bay. 
is the Palamedi Fortress, which is quite significant and very impressive. It towers over the town. And not far from there uh, is another ancient site called Tiryns. Now, Tiryns is where in Greek mythology, they believe that Hercules completed his seven labors. And not far from there, probably about a 20 minute drive inland is a very famous archeological site called Mykene. Now in the second millennium, BC, it was one of the major centers in Greece. It was where the military dominated much of, uh, of the southern parts of Greece. It produced what we call today the Mycenaean civilization. One of the most famous stories about Mykene that you may even know a little about is about King Agamemnon. King Agamemnon was uh, the brother of the man who was married to Helen and Helen was abducted by Paris and taken to Troy, which started the Trojan War. And it was King Agamemnon and his brother and several other generals and kings from around Greece, including Odysseus, who then all went to Turkey and fought for 10 years the Trojan War, which of course they famously lost because of the Trojan horse. So it's quite, you know, I don't know, surreal to go to somewhere like Mykene and to think that that person was a real person. Um, for many years, people have argued and speculated about Troy and whether it was true or not. We have actually been to Turkey and we've been to the ruins of Troy and it definitely was a real town. Of course, you know, a lot of the mythology that goes with the story of Troy is, um, you know, debatable, but it's always very interesting and you know, one of the highlights of going to the Peloponnese for me. Now, in the other direction, if you head uh, east, there is a, another very ancient and very impressive site called Epidavros. Now, Epidavros is a beautifully preserved it used to once be, I guess, what we would call now a health farm or a sanctuary. And these places were quite common in ancient Greece. People would come, particularly nobles and royalty, people that had money, they would come to these places to try to be cured of various illnesses or to just rehabilitate or relax. So they were in some part, uh, you know, like spas, a lot of the time there were, they said that they had healing waters or special powers in the waters. Other times they, uh, like, like Epidavros, it was said to be one of the first places where modern medicine was being um, performed. Medicine, of course, was invented in Greece and uh, that's where the word Hippocrates and the Hippocratic, can never quite pronounce that one, Hippocratic Oath has come from the Greek word. Now today, um, of course, like most of these places, much of uh, Epidavros is in ruin, but the theatre uh, is almost completely restored and preserved and is in one of the best conditions in all of Europe. It has incredible acoustics and you may have seen footage of this. It often turns up on many documentaries of people singing or clapping from the back rows. 
because they say that they can even hear a whisper on the stage, a single whisper, because that's how good the acoustics are and the engineering and design in that particular theatre. It's very impressive. There's also a very good museum there where you'll see many of the other artefacts that have been excavated from the site and they're all indoors and being protected in this small museum, which is definitely worth a look. So Epidavros, um, that's another, we did that in a, about a half day and then we popped back along the coast and we stopped into a beautiful town called Tolos, which is really a, a small holiday beachside resort town. And there's a number of very good uh, tavernas and cafes along the beach and a very lovely calm gentle beach along there that's very good for families and people with small children in particular. Heading south from Argolis um, you come across to what is now the largest administrative region in the Peloponnese and it's called Arcadia. The capital of Arcadia is Tripoli and in Greek mythology, it was said to be the home of the god Pan, the flute-playing god Pan. It's a very mountainous uh, region and there's a lot of agriculture again. You'll see a lot of uh, olive farms, a lot of potatoes, and you'll also see a lot of goats. We chose to spend a few days in the lovely town of Leonidio, which is on the coast. It's right near the beach and again, some lovely, beautiful, some of the best meals I can remember uh, we've had along the beach there near Leonidio. It's a very pretty town and it was quite a surprise to us. I don't know what it was we expected, but um, it was very inexpensive, very authentic. In fact, I can't remember really coming across any other tourists other than rock climbers. The town is surrounded by these towering red mountains and therefore it's very popular with people that like to do rock climbing. Um, but other than that, honestly, we just walked around at night time, the villagers were all out playing backgammon, people were just getting on with their lives and uh, we stayed in a, a beautiful little hotel that was very charming, very quaint. Um, it had the most beautiful frescoed painting on the ceiling in our bedroom. And it was very inexpensive for, for what we got, the quality of the breakfast, the service was excellent. So it really was a hidden gem and um, one of those little places that, um, that really stay with you and, and become a highlight of, of your visit. Then headed even further south um, to the next administrative region which is called Laconia. I always laugh when I say Laconia because of course it is where the modern English word laconic comes from which means you know to talk in a very blunt and concise way which I think I sometimes have a tendency to do. Um, but anyway Laconia the place is a wonderful and very interesting part of the Peloponnese. The capital is Sparta, where the famous Spartan warriors from the 300, you may have seen the movie, the 300, of course they came from Sparta. But other parts of Laconia are incredibly interesting and probably most of all, the quite incredible town of Monemvasia. This is actually a, an island joined to the mainland by a short causeway. It's only about 200 meters in length. And it has this incredible rock 
on the island, which was once a very powerful medieval fortress. It used to be referred to as the island fortress of Greece. And the people of the town could see ships coming, enemy ships coming from many miles in advance and really be unseen themselves because the village sort of spills down the side of the rock and it's very hard to see from sea until you're right up close and possibly therefore you, you know, you've lost the element of surprise. It's sometimes called the Gibraltar of the East as well. You can visit the town today. There's still a town there. It's mostly a tourist town, but there are still people that live in the village. And you can stay in some of the converted houses and, and mansions that have been turned into lovely little Airbnbs or B&Bs. And there's some very good tavernas and bars and cafes in there as well. Or you may choose to stay on the mainland and look back over Mom and Vasya because, of course, it makes for an incredible uh, view and, and some fabulous photos. We stayed even a little further inland, uh, probably about two kilometres inland, up on the hill in an absolutely amazing luxury hotel called Kinsterna Hotel. It is considered probably one of the best hotels in Europe. It's a sprawling estate, has a beautifully restored Byzantine era uh, mansion that is now the hotel. It has a luxury spa and two swimming pools, an award-winning restaurant. We had an absolutely magnificent meal there. The gardens are incredible. They have their own vineyard. They grow all their own vegetables. They've got a little animal farm. We went down and played with the donkeys. Um, and they produce all of their own, well, everything. They produce their own wine, their own cheese, olive oil, bread, everything. So it's not cheap. It is an expensive, it's a splurge. It was our biggest splurge on the Peloponnese. Everywhere else we stayed, quite frankly, was very affordable. But we did treat ourselves to a couple of nights at the Kinsterna, which was very memorable. We also really enjoyed visiting a lovely town called Githio, which is on the seaside and it's sort of halfway probably between Mom and Vasya and where we were heading, which was Lemeni in the Mani Peninsula. It, uh, Githio has these beautifully restored Venetian houses, colourful houses all along the waterfront and again, um, numerous excellent seafood tavernas and it's a great place to stop for lunch or to spend a couple of days. There's a lovely story actually that's attached to Githio. There's a small island there called Crania. They believe that Crania is where uh, Paris of Troy and Helen of Sparta spent their first night together. And one other highlight of Laconia that is very worthwhile is actually an island it's right at the very tip of Laconia and it's called Elephonissos. So it's a small island, but it's very beautiful. And during summer, during a normal summer in July and August, it can get quite a few tourists. Um, I believe sometimes as many as 3,000 a day visit uh, for the day, but many more stay for longer. It's got beautiful, beautiful beaches. They're very shallow. So the color of the water there is just crystal clear and azure blue. And it honestly is as pretty as you could possibly imagine a beach could be. Now, if you head west out of Laconia, 
you head in, well you're already in the third finger of the Peloponnese Peninsula and you move into an area called, or a regional unit called Messinia. Messinia is a fascinating region. Honestly, there's so much to see and do in this, this region that you could just go and have a holiday, you know, a four or six week holiday in Messinia and, and never leave because there's, it, it, it's beautiful, but there's also a lot to do and see. And there actually are direct flights into this, um, this particular area in the summer, normal summer, summer seasons. So the first part of Messinia is called Mani. Now we've got quite a few friends that are from Mani and um, we've always heard great things about it and we finally got to see for ourselves what the fuss was all about and I can certainly confirm that it is absolutely fabulous. We uh, chose to spend our time in the Mani Peninsula based in or near a little village called Lemeni. Lemeni is probably one of the most photographed and Instagrammed places in Europe, and although you've probably never heard of it, it rarely gets named. It is a very small village in a very small little bay. It's only relatively new, to be honest, but all the houses have been built in the traditional style. And it, it's only got a handful of small B&Bs and um, pensions or, or, you know, the old, old school yayas rooms and a couple of very good tavernas. But it's so pretty and they've just done a, a beautiful job and it's, it's absolutely breathtaking. The other great thing about this part of the Peloponnese is that the Mani faces west. So you get these incredible sunsets in the evening and, you know, at night time. So... You sit there on these terraces and these tavernas, you've been swimming all day, you've been exploring, you've had an amazing meal and then you get to watch this magical sunset. We actually sat on the terrace of our apartment, we, we uh, stayed in this great little hotel up in the hill looking down over Lamini. And there was this one particular evening, I think we were all just speechless, the sunset was mesmerising us. And to top it all off, we could hear this howling and we're all looking at each other thinking, are you hearing this? And we had no idea what it was. We found out later on that it was actually jackals, wild jackals um, are fairly common in the area. I'd not come across them in Greece before, but apparently they are not that rare. They're very shy, so you don't see them during the day. And, and obviously at sunset, they all... Um, make a call to each other so they can find their friends. <laughs> um, so anyway, getting back to Messinia. Messinia is again very mountainous. It is home to truly, I'm not exaggerating, some of the most beautiful beaches in, in Greece and some of the most fascinating sites. There is a lot of agriculture. The capital of Messinia is Kalamata. I'm sure that you know that Kalamata are the famous black Greek olives and therefore it's no surprise that Messinia is full of olive groves although there is also uh, there's fig trees everywhere dripping with figs in summer 
and lots of other agriculture as well. There's also a bit of manufacturing and, um, as I said, quite a bit of farming. There's beef and honey and, and goats and they're very self-sufficient. And it's one of the reasons that there is such incredible food in the Peloponnese is that, you know, they grow it. They, they grow it themselves. Nothing's imported. Everything's homemade and it is delicious. Now, whilst I highly recommend if you're visiting this part of Greece that you stay in Lemeni, if you can't or you don't want to, there are a number of other great places to stay in Messinia. There's another very pretty little village just north of Lemeni called Cardamili. And even Kalamata itself, I mean, the town itself is, is not too exciting, but uh, there's beaches and beach suburbs and, and villages around it that are really quite nice to stay in as well. Other things to do in the area, there's actually um, part of the region is called the Costa Navarino. And this is a, a very upmarket tourist development, one of Greece's biggest and it is basically comprised of several luxury resorts and, and golf courses. So, I mean, every country has an area like this. Um, it's certainly not cheap to stay in this area, but it is very, very pretty. And um, there's some very high-end brands such as the Western that you'll find in this area. Other things to see, um, particularly some very important, again, archaeological sites. One of them is called the Palace of Nestor. Now, King Nestor, back in the day, um, was a very important figure. He was known as Wise King Nestor. If you know much about the Iliad and uh, Homer's Iliad, the first published book in the Western world, and of course, the story of Troy that we've already spoken about. King Nestor and his sons did fight in Troy. And if you saw the movie Troy with Brad Pitt, King Nestor was the very elderly white-haired king that didn't actually fight himself, but he was there to, you know, lend support and he was always, um, people were always seeking advice from him. So his palace, uh, the ruins of his palace are in this area and you can visit them. There's some very well-preserved artifacts from that palace, as there are also in the ancient city of Messene, uh, which is not far from there. The other thing in this area that is relatively unique is there's a number of quite well-preserved Venetian castles, particularly in the towns of Pilos and Coroni and Methoni. So they add, you know, this other element of interest and, and beauty into the region. Now, leaving Messinia and heading north, although still on the west coast of the Peloponnese and bordering the Ionian Sea, is the regional unit called Elis. Elis is home to some of the most fertile agricultural land in the Peloponnese. So it's no surprise that there is some fabulous agriculture and beautiful produce to be found in this area. In fact, um, there's some very large tomato factories in Ellis, and there's also some fisheries. There's a lot of squid caught in this area. There's lots of markets. You can really, once again, get some fabulous fresh food and produce in and around Ellis. The capital of Ellis is a, a town called Piergos, and 
About an hour north of Piergos is the coastal town of Kilini. And in Kalini, you can catch ferries over to the Ionian islands of Zakynthos and Kefalonia. But probably the most famous aspect of Elis is that it is home to Olympia. So the ancient site where the very first Olympic Games were held. And it was also a fairly significant trading port and uh, town and temple. Um, I think around the 8th century to the 4th. So this is now one of Greece's most famous sites and one of the most popular tourist attractions in the country. So this brings me to the very last regional unit of the Peloponnese. It's in the north. It runs along the north of the Peloponnese Peninsula and it's a region called Akia. Now, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but uh, that's as close as I can probably get. It is one, it's the most, it's the busiest and most industrial region in the Peloponnese. The capital is Patras, and Patras is actually the third largest city in Greece after Athens and Thessaloniki. And it is a mostly known as a university town but there is also quite a lot of manufacturing and commerce and industry in and around Patras. One of the most famous things about Akia is that it is also home to the famous Rio Antirion Bridge. Now this bridge is actually the longest, now let me get this right, longest cable stayed multi-span bridge in the world. And it's quite stunning. Often I've seen it flying, flying over it, flying to the Ionian Islands. And you look down and there it is in all its glory. And it, it is really quite impressive, particularly at night time when it's all lit up. And it joins the Peloponnese with the mainland of Greece to the north. Patras is also where there is a very busy ferry port. And you can catch ferries and cruise ships, etc. from there out to the Ionian Islands. Uh, up to the mainland and also over to Italy. The area also has, unsurprisingly, has um, some wonderful monasteries, some really truly impressive monasteries, some wineries. Uh, of course, there's always going to be some ancient ruins in the area. It's very mountainous and in winter, it is a relatively popular ski destination. In particular, there's a lovely town called Calavitra up in the mountains, um, which is very pretty. And there are a number of, again, monasteries up there and caves that you can explore. It's a beautiful place to really get back to nature. So a, um, a narrow gauge railway track, a cute little train that runs for about 30 kilometres. And it's a pretty popular tourist destination. And like the whole Peloponnese, you will also find some very nice beaches and some very quiet and very unassuming little beaches and towns and villages along the coastline in this area. So they're the seven administrative units of the Peloponnese. I'm sorry if I've waffled on a little bit and I, I certainly actually have skimmed over so many things that I could still say. Um, anyway, 
if you head over to the website, head to greasetravelsecrets.com, I do have a fairly extensive guide to the Peloponnese and, and how to visit and where to stay and what to see and do and where to eat. You'll find that under the category of mainland. And there's a, a very recent and very comprehensive guide to visiting Nafplio as well, which was published only a couple of weeks ago. As you've no doubt gathered, I'm pretty passionate and very fond of the Peloponnese in Greece. This is an area that I strongly urge all travellers to try to visit. I understand it may not happen on your first trip to Greece, but if you've been a couple of times and you still haven't discovered this part of the country, then you really need to start to give it some thought. You'll get everything that you'll get on the islands um, and probably for a lot less money and with a more authentic flavour. Now, how do you get to the Peloponnese and how do you get around? Okay, there's no train, so that is uh, makes it tricky. The best way to do it, quite frankly, is to drive yourself. Driving in Greece, I know, sounds a bit intimidating and it can be quite daunting at first, but... Look, once you get the hang of being on the wrong side of the road, which it is for us, um, we don't find it all that difficult. The main highway, particularly down from Athens, is very modern and very big, and it's, it's very hard to get lost. Admittedly, there are some minor roads, and particularly if you go up over the mountains that are a little bit hair-raising at times. So, you know, if you're not up for those sorts of adventures, stick to the main highways. And really, we found it very easy to drive around. Again, on the website, you will find a very comprehensive guide to driving in Greece. And that includes everything you need to know, including, you know, international driving permits, insurance and all those types of information. Um, there are airports. Kalamata has an international airport, and I alluded to that earlier. In summer, there are usually charter flights into Kalamata, particularly from England. And there's also a domestic airport at Sparta. You can catch buses and the bus network is relatively reliable, but you know, you won't be able to be as spontaneous, of course, if you're doing that and you have to lug your own uh, luggage around. Um, and the other way you can do it is by ferry, but then you're only really going to be able to connect to the west coast. Um, and then you'll still have to find your way around the rest of the peninsula. But look, it's not that difficult to explore. And, and to be honest, if it had a thousand ferry ports and airports and a train line, then it wouldn't be what it is today and it wouldn't be as wonderful and as magical as it is. So they're my tips for visiting the Peloponnese. I truly hope you can make it there. And please um, yell out, go over to the Facebook group. If you want any more information, there's a bunch of people there that would love to help you, including me. So signing off for now. Thanks for listening in. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yasu.